What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. He is risen. Praise the Lord that we have that testimony to say, to affirm who he is and what he has done. We have it all gathered in one place since we celebrated Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. A lot has happened between now and then. And things happened just the way that Jesus said they would happen. The way that his disciples didn't want to believe they would happen. Everything turned upside down. Late Thursday night, after the Passover meal on the Mount of Olives, they came for him. His enemies came for him. And his own disciple Judas led them. And he identified Jesus for them with a kiss. What a bitter betrayal. His most faithful followers scattered to the four winds. And Jesus spent the night alone in his own defense, standing before the Jewish high priest and then before the Roman governor as a slew of false accusations were hurled at him. In the morning, Friday morning, the people of Jerusalem who had welcomed him five days before with cries of Hosanna now shouted, crucify him. And so the governor, at their request, handed Jesus over to be executed through the most shameful, slow, agonizing means the Romans had at their disposal. The soldiers stripped, mocked, and beat Jesus within an inch of his life. They made him carry his own crude torture device to the site of his own execution. They drove nails into his hands and feet. And they strung him up like a scarecrow between two thieves. And the vultures began to circle. 
This is what the king of the Jews was reduced to. A broken and bleeding criminal. A spectacle, a warning to anyone who threatened the powers that be. And this is what the crowning glory of God's creation did to his only son. Right now would have been a really good time for those 12 legions of angels that Jesus talked about before to rush to Jesus' aid. But none came. And Jesus didn't ask for them. It was noon, but the sky was dark. The few followers who had remained by Jesus' side watched his chests raggedly rise and fall, half fearing, half hoping that it wouldn't rise again. After three hours of this, most people would have been delirious from the pain. They wouldn't have been in their, in their right mind. But when Jesus opened his mouth, it wasn't to whimper or to curse those who did this to him. No, he was with it enough to quote the Psalms. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? It surely seemed as if God had forsaken him, like it must have seemed to David when he wrote those words. It seemed that he was alone. And with one final sky-splitting cry, it was done. His body was still. Jesus was dead. And all hope died with him. At that moment, the earth shook beneath their feet. It was as if God were saying, hold on, I'm not done yet. Back at the temple, the massive imposing curtain of, to the most holy place, which was where God's presence was, which was where hardly anybody dared to step foot, was spontaneously ripped from top to bottom. Something no human could have done. What's more, tombs broke open. Dead people came to life again. What? What is this? What, is, what did all this mean? Jesus' followers had no idea. They were lost in their hopelessness. 
But what they did know was Jesus was still dead. As the sun set on Friday and the Sabbath drew near, they hurried to take his body down from the cross. And with much less ceremony than he deserved, they cleaned his body and wrapped it and laid it in a tomb. See, they had to be done with all of this before the sun set because that was Sabbath. You weren't to work on the Sabbath. You certainly weren't to be around a dead body. They consoled themselves with the agreement that they were going to come back on, on Sunday, the first day of the week, to anoint him and to do this over again a little bit more properly. And as they left, a truly huge stone was rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb by the Roman soldiers. The sound of its grinding drew their attention and it settled into place with a thud. A very final sounding thud. Exhausted and numb, Jesus' followers arrived home. Only later would they crumple under the weight of their grief because it just hadn't, it hadn't all settled yet. They knew it, but they didn't, it, it didn't connect. It wasn't just that Jesus was dead, though that would have been enough. They loved him. They'd been with him for three years. But more than that, it was that now he was just like every other man who came before him who claimed to be powerful enough to save Israel. Each of those men were killed. And their followers were scattered, and that was the end of that. Even if Jesus was the Messiah who was prophesied about, who was foretold, he was killed, just like them. And his disciples were scattered. And Israel's long-awaited redemption was nothing more than a missed opportunity. God's people now had less hope than they started with when they went into exile. This is where we find Jesus' followers before dawn on Sunday. This is the mental and emotional state of the two Mary's hearts as they slip off at some unholy hour with oils and spices. The supplies that they need to adequately embalm the empty shell that was once their Lord Jesus. 
I imagine they dread the sight of him. Maybe the smell of him, too. They fear they won't be strong enough to handle this important task. Being practical as well, they're probably wondering how they're going to get inside the tomb to where Jesus is. They remember that massive stone that's rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb. And they remember how many strong men it took to roll it in place. How many strong men would it take to roll it back? Would there be enough soldiers standing guard there to budget for them, to at least get a crack open far enough for them to slip through to where Jesus was? Well, here's what happened as Matthew tells it. We read it from the Gospel of John earlier. We're going to read it from the Gospel of Matthew. From another witness. This is Matthew chapter 28, starting at the first verse, going to verse 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Scripture asks this as a rhetorical question more than once. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. The women need not have worried about the stone. The God who gave Abraham and Sarah a son in their old age. The God who parted the sea, who conquered the giant with the sling and the stone, who caused a virgin to give birth to his own son. 
the God who they themselves witnessed calm a storm and feed the multitude and heal the sick. That God was the God of this rock. And moving this, some say it was about two tons, this two-ton stone, this child's play for God. And I chuckle when I read about the angel sitting on the stone after. I, I picture him like, like a hunter posing for a photo with this triumphant grin, planting a foot on top of his fallen prey. The Almighty God, one. Stupid little rock, zero. This was about the least incredible task on God's agenda that day. Now God moved the stone, but as the women were about to see their reason for needing the stone moved was now a moot point. The tomb was empty. Jesus' body was gone. This must have left them with a whole bunch of emotions, shock, confusion, distress. At first, until, until the angel spoke up. And to put it in modern language, I imagine the angel saying something like this. Looking for Jesus? Well, you're not going to find him here because he has risen. Just like he said he was going to do. I'm just saying, don't shoot the messenger. He said he was going to. Everything else happened the way he said he was going to. So did this. He arose. He's alive. Hallelujah. After reading this story for the umpteenth time, I'm left with a new question reading it this week. My question is this. Why did God roll the stone away? We know it wasn't so that the women could anoint Jesus' body to honor and mourn the the man and what he stood for. There was nothing in the tomb now for them to anoint. So why was the stone rolled away? You may say, as I probably said many times before this week, well, duh, Jesus had to get out, didn't he? But what I didn't take into account is that when Jesus rose from the dead, the body that was raised was not the exact same as the one that died on the cross. I mean, it was, it was the same body. The tomb was empty. There was no body there now, but resurrection changed it somehow. Yes, the body still bore the scars of his suffering of Good Friday, so that no one could deny it was him. But now that Jesus' body had defeated death, 
He could not die again. He could not suffer again. The body that he was born into on Christmas, that was a perishable body. It had an expiration date. But it was raised imperishable. What was mortal is now clothed with immortality. As such, scripture is clear that the resurrected Jesus was not bound by space in the same way that he used to be or in the way that we are. In the several accounts about what happened after Jesus' resurrection, Scripture tells us that that same evening after he rose, he appeared among his disciples inside a securely locked room. They were all huddled together. They were afraid. Suddenly, Jesus is there. How did he get in? We also read about how Jesus disappeared from the table where he was having dinner in Emmaus before the very eyes of two witnesses. He seemed to be able to be and not be in a specific place at, at will. So, it stands to reason that Jesus could have risen and gotten out of that tomb by walking right on through that massive stone. That might have been a greater miracle than moving it was. In any case, I'm pretty confident today when I say that the stone was not rolled away for Jesus' sake. Why did God do it then? Why did he bother to roll back the stone? God didn't roll back the stone so that Jesus could get out. He rolled it back so that his followers could get in. He rolled it back so that his disciples, these two Marys and later um, Peter and John, could see the place where they had laid him. So they could smell the lingering scent of suffering and death in that space. So they could touch the familiar strips of linen that they had wrapped around his broken body, now folded neatly like pajamas. So they wouldn't have to take the angel's word for it when he said that Jesus had risen. They had evidence that Jesus had really died 
but he wasn't dead anymore. God rolled back the stones so that when Jesus appeared to them later, they would know he wasn't just a ghost. He was more alive than they had ever seen him. God rolled back that stone so that they could see and believe. And so that they would believe so strongly that they would and did stake their own lives on the true story of Jesus' resurrection. So that their eyewitness account, through their eyewitness accounts, others would come to believe as well, just as strongly. God rolled back the stone so that this Jesus would not be just another would-be Messiah who was forgotten. He did it so Jesus would be proven to be the risen and living Savior of the world. He did it so that Jesus would still be remembered and still believed in 2,000 years later by his disciples across the whole world. who trust that Jesus' resurrection is just a foretaste of the glory to come. God rolled back the stone so that they could see and believe so that you and I might believe because of their witness. People don't risk their lives for a hoax. Christians live for the Lord and die for the Lord because we are certain that we speak the truth. I am here because I am certain I speak the truth. I would not be using my life to do what I am doing if I didn't believe this. Now, I didn't see the empty tomb with my own eyes. But I believe the testimonies of those who did. I believe, not just because of their words, but because of their actions afterwards, I believe they saw Jesus himself alive again. I believe that they ate with him and touched him, that he was and is real. Do you believe? Do you believe that nothing is too hard for the Lord? That he raised Jesus from the dead? Scripture tells us that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. His death and his resurrection work together to bring about 
our salvation and our future forever with God. It is open to everyone. His death and his resurrection was enough for all of us. And all we need to do Paul writes in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you done this? Do you believe? Do you believe? If you don't know for sure yet, that's okay. And I pray God will continue working on your heart and showing himself to you to show that he is real and he is risen and he has done this for you. Don't waste the power of God. He has already done this. And the doors of heaven are open for you. And all you have to do is say it and mean it. Jesus is Lord. And believe in the resurrection. I invite all of you who believe and all of you who want to believe to the table. To the same kind of table that Jesus set for his disciples. Which we talked about last week. His disciples who were going to mess up. who had messed up and, and definitely weren't done yet. And Jesus knew all this. And still, he was ready to share with them the bread of affliction. His body which was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. And he shared with them the cup of redemption.
they didn't deserve to drink from it. Neither do we. But once we do, we know a freedom like none other. His death was for our sins. His resurrection was for our justifications that we might be made right with God. There is no other way. Jesus is the only way. We remember Thursday night before Jesus was betrayed when he knew it was his last night on earth in that form. He took the bread. If you come in. For those who were there Thursday and participated in the Seder. He, he broke it. He blessed it. He passed it around his disciples and he said, take some of this. Eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. And after they'd eaten, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. which is poured out, and it was poured out. It wasn't just a trickle. <laughs> it was poured out. For you. So that you might be saved. His blood speaks better word than the blood of Abel. His blood speaks so much louder than every lamb that was ever sacrificed on Passover because he is the lamb of God. He has done this for you. Come and share. I'm going to invite you as you are ready to come down the center aisle, you'll take a little bit of the unleavened bread and dip it in the juice. And you can eat it right there. Or you can take it back to your seat. Or you can take it to the altar. Let's share in the Lord's Supper together and accept His grace.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.